Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another sunny day in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Lorna Hammond, Managing Director of C&D Southwest. C&D Southwest is a logistics and distribution company based in the West Country. Lorna, hello. Hi, Matthew. Lovely speaking with you today. Many thanks for having me on the podcast. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, we might as well jump straight in. What does the word yeah. leader mean to you? Leader uh, to me is somebody who is at the top of an organization um, and is empowering the people to be the best that they can within their roles and obviously leading the company uh, in the same vision and, and directive uh, as as, as it wants to go, really. I think um, it's it's difficult to kind of define define it in one in one set of words. That for me, it's very much about empowerment and creating a positive workspace for people to be in. So it's important to foster that environment in order to get productivity. Definitely, um, and I think particularly in the industry that I'm in, um, being transport, it's always been seen. Um, it's particularly more of a, a negative industry and quite a dirty industry in the fact that it's very, very work intense, um, predominantly male. Um, and I think that, that that in my role, I'm, I'm certainly trying to change the perception of that and having more of a positive workforce, trying to be a bit more diverse and, and kind of spread the spread the wings within the industry, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, now, how would you describe your personal leadership style? Uh, very very engaged with my staff um you know we're we're family uh, we're family business um and I'm kind of the third generation now that's leading the business forward um so for me I'd say my my leadership style is very very one of which is that's engaging with staff um being open and honest and kind of respecting everyone's views and opinions as, as you would your own um and I feel that 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 works well for me and having that kind of trust and, and respect with your staff goes a long way Absolutely. Uh, it is important to foster trust. And that is something that I hear uh, time and again on this podcast, that trust is the uh, nature of good leadership. Uh, now, yeah. let's wind back the years a bit to when you first started out your career. Was there a particular individual who inspired the way that you lead today? Yeah, definitely. So um, my father, like I said, we're a family business. Um, so C&D started back in 1987. Uh, with with my late grandfather um, and my father, who who created it back back in the eighties, um, and so for me, um, still being quite relatively new within my my leadership position, um, the kind of main inspiration for me has always been my father. He's you know grown the company over the past thirty years um, into a very su- successful um, small to medium enterprise business in the southwest of the UK, um, and for me, he's always been my my role model and an inspiration for for what I'm doing, and I very much now want to take what I've learned from him and and grow the company into that next generation of leadership. Of course, and it's it's inspiring to hear these stories of leadership going down in families, uh, because obviously uh, the example begins at home, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. Now, if we were to move on to a much uh, larger uh, subject. Who would you say, if I were to press you, uh, objectively, was the greatest leader, living or dead? Oof, gosh, that is a, a very tough question. Um, 
I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of people I'd say that I look looked up to um, throughout my kind of childhood and, and early life. Now, um, to pinpoint one specific, I think would be difficult um, because I do feel there's been so many great leaders, past and present. Um, so to I think to pinpoint someone specifically would be difficult for me because I feel that I'm I'm a person that takes different point, viewpoints and experiences in what what I'm doing. So to kind of pinpoint it to one specific person um, is difficult for me. Um, but there's definitely a lot a lot of experience and, and people that I, I'd say that I draw from um, day to day in what I'm doing. So it's important to get a diversity of skills in order to be I, an effective leader? I think leader? so, yeah. I, I, think, I think that's definitely the case. And I think also... More so with um, the the economy being more and more diverse um, these days, and changing workforces and and changing variables, especially again in the transport industry, you have got to be quite diverse and um, adaptable in what you're doing, and always looking at different ways to work to stay ahead of the competition. So I think for me, it, it's important to stay open minded and. And like to be be receptive to different ideas and, and different models of leadership in that in that aspect. And do you find that it's important to pass this on within the organization? Yeah, definitely. Um, like like I said before, um, I'm new within my leadership role. Um, I was appointed as director uh, back in the 2018, so I'm very much at the kind of start of my my leadership journey within the within the organization here at CMD Southwest. Um, but something that I've I've found to be very important is sharing what you're doing with your staff, um, and I think ultimately what you're trying to achieve as a leader. Um, if if your staff or whoever you're leading don't don't know the end goal, then they're not going to follow that, and they're ultimately just going to do their own thing. So, um, like I said at the start, open and honest communication with staff goes a long way, and I think especially in in a position of leadership um, in order to get the desired result in, in where you want to go and where you want to take a business. Um, that, that is key in, in terms of making them aware of what, what you're wanting to achieve. Now, logistics and distribution is uh, historically a very male-dominated environment. Do you feel that yeah. there are specific challenges for a female leader in this field? Yeah, I think I think they can be, but I've I've also seen uh, in my time working with the company that that, that kind of um, stereotype is starting to change. And certainly within my um, leadership role, I make an active effort to kind of change that dynamic. Um, you know, we've got quite a balanced workforce here at CND with a lot of uh, women uh, employees um, in kind of management positions and and uh, and driving positions as well. So. You know, we are very much trying to encourage um, a more diverse workforce in that aspect. Um, but I think in a leadership role, um, I think it can be uh, difficult at times. Like, um, you know, I think if you look at HEV drivers across the board in the UK, um, I think 99% of them are, are male. So um, being a female leader can, can be challenging in that aspect. But my view is as long as you're um, professional with them and, you know, you respect them and, and know what they're doing, um, they're always very receptive. And it's just about that open openness and honesty and that communication with them, I feel. Um, like I said, it, it does go a long way, but it, it, can, it can be difficult, um, I must admit. Now, of course, all difficulties come with rewards. And I, I would imagine that 
running a family business is is a quite rewarding affair. Um, do you find that people, uh, younger members of your family, are taking inspira- inspiration from you at this point? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think it's it's always um, it's always important to be inspiring to other people and kind of encourage them to to, to do things. Um, you know, whether they want to follow in your footsteps or not. But I think it's just showing to others um, if you want to achieve something, you can do it. And my ultimate goal is looking at looking at the business now is is growing it growing it further and, and being more successful. Um, you know, the family started it um, over thirty years ago with minimal staff and, and vehicles um, and, it, and it's grown a lot in the past 30 years and I think it is important to encourage other family members and and staff to to see that if they want to achieve something they can as well and that inspiration and empowerment is very important as well I think. Now if you were to speak to a young girl in secondary school um, what advice would you give her if she was looking to pursue a career similar to yourself? I would say just to always believe in yourself. Um, don't let what other people say get you down. Stay positive and just work hard for what you believe in. Um, I think if you just practice what you want to achieve and, and be really positive and mindful of achieving that, then I think anything really is possible. Um, and just if you need the support, don't be afraid to ask for it. And that would be my kind of key tip to, to somebody uh, younger than myself looking to pursue a career in in whatever it is they wish to achieve. Well, I'll tell you one thing that we can't achieve now is more time. Our time together is very quickly drawing to its close. But uh, before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for C&D Southwest? Okay, so yeah, the next 12 months, uh, it's the start of a new decade. Um, and for me, it's it's very much um, focusing on the on the team. Um, I think last year, uh, 2019, we saw a lot of uncertainty uh, with the economy, with Brexit and everything else. So now I think we, we know that Brexit is, is done. It's, it's, it's happening. Um, so I think it's now it's just focusing on that consolidation, uh, building the team and ultimately um, focusing on, on the delivering that quality service, which we which we strive to do every day, but really making conscious steps to be really really leading in, in what we do in terms of distribution. Lorna, it's been a pleasure discussing leadership with you, and I very much hope you come on the show again sometime in the near future. Lorna, thank you. Thank you, Matthew. It's been lovely speaking to you as well. That was Lorna Hammond, Managing Director of C&D Southwest. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Lord Blunkett. Uh, we're joined uh, today by uh, David Blunkett, Lord Blunkett, former Home Secretary, former Education Secretary. David, thank you very much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Uh, it's always a pleasure. But uh, since we are talking around the theme of leadership, it would be remiss of me if we didn't start with the leadership election going on in the Labour Party. Apart from, I'm sure you'll delight that a certain someone is leaving a post. What are your thoughts on it so far? Well, I think the... Party membership are going to make a very clear decision. Uh, are they in, in the stands watching or are they on the pitch playing? And if they want to play, then the two candidates that are in for the future are Lisa Nandy and Keir Starmer. I'm personally backing Lisa because I think she's a brave woman with a tremendous amount to give. She's got really good, positive ideas. I like them because they're about building from the community rather than command and control from the centre. They're about a new form of social democracy and socialism rather than trying to replicate a failed past. 
and she can reach out to people that others can't. So I'm I'm giving her my backing. I think Keir Starmer is very professional, mm. very able, and presents extremely well. And I, I hope that one of those two uh, actually come through in the election on the 4th of April. Uh, there has been a lot of criticism, especially from... Uh, for uh, candidates a little further left um, than them who've criticised even the last Labour uh, uh, government as being part of 40 years of Thatcherism. Yes, I think it's really unfortunate, uh, particularly when new MPs come in having seen large swathes of their colleagues lose their seat, uh, to roll up the 13 years of Labour government with everything that I'm so proud of. I mean, I, we, we were not neoliberals or anything like it. We were able, in the first 10 years certainly, uh, which I played a part in, to be able to turn the economy around, to invest in health and education, to be able to transform people's aspirations and their hopes for the, the future. And that included ensuring people got the minimum wage, which we never had before, Sure start to nurture youngsters from the most moment they were born, transformation in the quality of education. And all these things actually add up to helping people to improve and change their lives for the better. And anyone who thinks that's not good and that isn't a government to be proud of needs to answer the question, what chivalet is it that you would want that would actually have done more to change those lives? I can think of two or three myself in terms mm. of dramatically taking on uh, inequality, although half a million children were taken out of poverty in those years. I can think of being even tougher on crime, even though I was dubbed as one of the tougher home secretaries because the people that I cared about most were, on the whole, not exclusively, but mainly the victims of crime. I can think about taking on the very, very rapidly growing transnational power of the big tech companies, which we still need to work through in terms of how we do that from a, a single nation just off the coast of Europe, and how we work internationally without getting caught up in wars we don't want to be involved in, but how, how are we international in a way that ensures that we play our part in making a better life for humanity as a whole rather than disengaging and becoming alien from the rest of the world. Those are big questions for the social democratic left, particularly with artificial intelligence and robotics changing the world of work forever, I think, in the next 20 years. Uh, an ageing population. Labour got 18% of the over 65 vote in the general election. Just 18%. It's staggeringly... It's extraordinary. Staggeringly bad. Um, and and climate change, which we all know is going to be either a big gain or a terrific political trauma. We've got to take people with us. No matter uh, which political party it is, the changes that will occur in this decade especially will determine their future ideologies, certainly. And sp speaking of your time uh, as Home Section in government, um, you worked with so many different individuals of all political stripes and none at all. Is there someone, and on the theme of leadership, that stands out to you that embodies some of those qualities you described earlier? Yes, I mean, I, it's on the theme of bottom-up, it was some of the most inspiring uh, head teachers and classroom teachers who, in really, really difficult circumstances, were actually transforming the life chances of children by inspiring those children to want to learn, to, if you like, light, lighting a candle inside them, uh, giving them a, 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 a 
a window on the world which created an inquiring mind and an understanding that the world was their oyster, that they could do things with support. My, my philosophy has always been mutuality and reciprocity. We, we need mutuality to support each other. We need reciprocity in terms of understanding that we don't just take, we, we give a lot as well. And I suppose that really comes down to uh, if you're prepared to do something for yourself, we're prepared to do something to help you. And that's fundamentally in education, but it is in all sorts of walks of life as well. So you can have innovation, you can have entrepreneurship and creativity in, in business, you can have the way in which people turn things around for themselves. Small businesses have done that, the contribution to... Uh, new ways of doing things, of thinking differently about our economy. Th those are all grit to the mill. Those are the things we need to do. And we can do them together. It's not that you're on the side of the devil if you're an entrepreneur or you're on the side of the angels if you work in public services. We, we are mm. dependent on each other. Uh, you can't have one without the other. Yes. Um, and I think to coin a term... Uh, uh, extraordinary, ordinary people, and especially when it comes to, given your answer, David to uh, teachers, to carers, people that honestly don't get the recognition they deserve on a day-to-day -day basis. And without them, half of society wouldn't function. Completely. I, I call it civil society, which functions even when government isn't functioning. It's, what, it's the glue that holds things together. It's people working and living and having their being together and recognising that they are dependent on each other. I, I've obviously met incredibly inspiring leaders in a different vein. I was very fortunate to have met Nelson Mandela three times. Uh, I met Bill Clinton a number of times, both of whom, in very, very different ways, were inspiring leaders. I've met people in leadership positions who couldn't take a decision to save their lives. Uh, Tony Blair famously said in the, his conference speech the year before he stood down as Prime Minister... And I, I knew exactly what he meant. He said the worst ministers are those who won't take decisions. And anyone in a leadership role needs to, A, know why they're there, what they intend to do with the uh, authority mm. that goes with being a leader and a manager, and then how to draw people in as a team to be able to implement it so that it's a team approach. It's not someone out on a white charger. It's someone who can mobilise, motivate, provide incentives for people to feel that they're part of the solution as well. Uh, and I think whether it's politics, whether it's business, whether it's sport, it's exactly those qualities that you need to succeed in any of them. Yes, it is. And if people recognise that and they have a clear idea themselves, they, they have and build, because you can't build, leadership qualities, they know how to manage their own time and their own emotions because we all, from time to time, feel like really losing our temper and... I don't pretend for a minute over the years <laughs> that, that I haven't. How, how to control your own feelings and emotion and how to bring the best out in other people's. How, how you work out that people who are really good don't threaten you, they compliment you. People who have complementary skills to you are really valuable. And I suppose the ability to listen, not just for its own sake, mm. but to listen because you are conglomerating, I suppose you would call it plagiarising, thoughts, ideas, ways forward from everyone around you. I often think that um, football managers wouldn't do too bad a job if they actually talk to the fans after the game. 
Well, everyone <laughs> knows, uh, David, you know, you're a big Sheffield Wednesday fan. It I know. can't be easy having to hear the it, praise of Chris Wilder and Sheffield United every week after No, week. I, it is isn't, although it's damn good for Sheffield, so I'm being a bit magnanimous at the moment. That's very good about of you. Sheffield United in the Premier League, because it, it, it does change. It lifts the image of the city internationally. If you're Not just because it's Sheffield United, but because if you're playing Liverpool uh, and you're playing Man City then that's a global audience. You're immediately beamed across the world. So that's good. I, I, I could cry sometimes. We can, we can beat uh, Brighton, Premier League side, in the FA Cup at Brighton. We can beat Leeds at Leeds. I was there when we beat them 2-0 in January. And then you can lose 5-0. And then five you lose 5-0 at home to Blackburn and half the fans were out of the round by, by half-time. What, what would a manager blanket say in this situation? I, I would have asked myself a very simple question. What went wrong with motivating those players so that when they came out on the field, they walked instead of ran? They didn't have any of the passion they'd had the week before at Leeds. They showed no drive and incentive to take hold of the game. What, what went wrong with the same players who'd played very well the week previously, and if you could answer that question, and there may have something may have happened, who knows? Something during the morning before the game started, something may have gone sour. You get the answer to that question, and you then start to ensure that we never, never do this again. Yeah, well, I'm a Chelsea fan, so I'm beginning to feel your pain at the minute. Um, <laughs> but I would like to pick up on another point you just made, actually, David, about choosing a strong team, people that compliment you. A lot of criticism that. Uh, Theresa May got as Prime Minister was that she tended not to pick perhaps the more ambitious, the more uh, 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 people uh, uh, ministers that might well challenge her. One of Boris Johnson's, for all his faults, uh, he has been said in the past, he's a man that picks people that are good at their briefs. Do you agree with that? Well, I'll reserve judgment on that until I see the outcome of the reshuffle, which as we record this podcast has not yet happened mm. and I imagine I, I would be very surprised if he didn't have quite a brutal reshuffle not just to get people in who he likes but people who are going to be really sparky and able and clear at doing the job because you can have all the best ideas in the world you can pronounce on what you're going to do but if you haven't got leaders in those departments prepared to do it if they're just toadies by the way and there is a tendency a new mm. prime minister large majority got to be very careful that you don't pick people because you're receiving the echo of your own voice uh, when you're speaking to them but get able people in i, I, I won't comment on some of the less able but there are <laughs> clearly in the cabinet as i speak at the moment people who are really just not up to it i mean incidentally anyone who won't be cross-examined by decent journalists on the BBC, changed their minds recently about mm. Sky, <clears throat> isn't worth their salt. If, but part of being cross-questioned is to demonstrate to yourself that you've got a grasp of your brief, that you believe in it, and that you can persuade people of it. And if you can't do that under real cross-examination rather than sitting on the sofa for, a, mm. for a, a, an easy morning television programme... Get out of the business. You know, don't, don't do Without it. Without a doubt. Yeah. 
Uh, that's and also I should add that is how these uh, all stripes earn that respect in the first place. But there is a question, isn't I'm there? I'm trying to answer the questions. That's, that's <laughs> what I always tried to answer the or questions. Or be very good at avoiding them. Either way. Um, oh, well, the, the way of avoiding them is to take it head on and say, I'm, I'm not going to answer that question. Explain why. Yeah, quite. Uh, <laughs> the, um, and I think one of the great things about uh, the Lise Castle especially is that um, it takes and talks to people again, from all different backgrounds, leading something very different, whether it's a charity, whether it's a business, whether it's in politics. There comes points, though, and David, you must have experienced this, whether it's leading Sheffield City Council or as Home Secretary. When people are looking at you for leadership, where do you get your strength from? I think there's something inside all of us. There's a tenacity, there's a, an ambition, there's a desire to get things done, to make a difference inside you, whether you're in public service, the charities or you're driving a business that actually says this is why I get up in the morning so you've got to have something internal to yourself the the second is the satisfaction you get back because you do from seeing things change for the better you you can take pride without being egotistical there's nothing wrong with being proud of what you do and to want to do it even better and that's why you need both sharp minds around you. In my case, it was special advisors as as well as ministers. I pretty well picked my ministers. Sometimes Tony asked me to take people who I was a little bit iffy about, and we had to meld people into the team. I was able to pick all my own special advisors, and that really did make a difference. Mm. But in in the end, you've got to like what you're doing. I mean, the the people who are unhappy in their skin, they, they... it's very difficult to perform if you're in the wrong business or in the wrong department of a business or if you're really hating teaching or in politics, you, you're just in the wrong department. I was very lucky because education and employment were my first loves in terms of what I wanted to do and I got the job for four years. I'd then come to the conclusion that there were really big challenges for us it turned out even bigger than I expected with the attack on the World Trade Center mm. three months after I became Home Secretary. But the big challenges of security, of reducing crime, of dealing with the development of positive citizenship, which also had a readover in terms of immigration, the kind of things that change people's lives either for the better or the worse. And you don't get everything right. That's the other thing you've got to recognize, which is why being part of a broader team, being able to take criticism but not always accept it <laughs> because otherwise you blow with the wind. That, that, that's the, the measure. And I think if we can share those traits, those experiences, those different elements through the Leadership Council, if we can get people from very, very different leadership managerial roles and delivery roles to actually be able to share that experience, everyone will gain something from it because that dialogue will inform, it will avoid people reinventing the wheel, it will take people a lot further than the the niche, for good or ill, the niche that they're in at the moment. Um, David, in the very, uh, in a couple of minutes we have left, um, I will be mean and put you on the spot and ask you for predictions perhaps in three things. What will happen in the Labour leadership contest? How will the next few months go for the government after Brexit? 
uh, well, after we leave the European Union on the 31st of January, and where will Sheffield Wednesday finish in the league? Lord above. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure which is the most difficult of those <laughs> questions. I, I've already in, indicated where my support is for the, the Labour leadership. If we take it at the end of January 2020, Keir Starmer has clearly got, a, got off to a very, very um, strong start. I think, however, it will be very much down to who can reach those parts of the Labour Party membership that came in on the back of Jeremy Corbyn's election in 2015 to that post, who can be persuaded that what they want to see and the change, the big changes they'd like to enact can only be brought about in any form if we win and we win back the people, the tragic loss of people on our side uh, mm. in December 2019. And, and that, that's got to be Lisa Nandi or, or Kia. On, on the, um, the, the next few months, I think that the government will probably do quite well. I, I, I think that there are real dangers ahead in just having 11 months to negotiate trade deals, especially with bellicose pronouncements about we're not going to have alignment as though alignment in itself is a bad thing when some of it will be very good so i think there are dangers but i think there's quite a bit of momentum going with the government at the moment and that will be reflected in relationships in doing deals in europe and facing outwards to the rest of the world sheffield wednesday god help me i mean you know how is it that two of the things that are most important to me other than my family and loved ones, is football and, and politics. I think Sheffield Wednesday will be hard-pressed now to get into the playoffs. If we do, I think we could pull it off, but I am really reluctant. And I think on that prediction, your reputation will be judged. Lord Blunkett, thank you very much for joining us today. God bless you, Jonathan. <laughs> this has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.